Hi, this is episode 21 of K. Ray Reads to You. Today we have part one of chapter six of Absolute Zero by Helen Cresswell. Chapter six. Grandma turned out to be the only Bagthorpe who got any real pleasure out of Daisy's visit. She had, the moment she took the trouble to notice her properly, at once recognized Daisy as a kindred spirit. She is a true Bagthorpe. "'Grandma told the others. "'She reminds me of my own grandmother.' "'Which one?' inquired Mr. Bagthorpe. "'The one who ran off with the Welsh grocer, "'or the one that went mad?' "'She did not go mad,' returned Grandma coldly. "'She was merely eccentric, as I hope I am myself.' "'Oh, you're that all right,' he told her, "'and getting more so by the day, dangerously more so.' Grandma, having once crossed the frontier of doing the unthinkable, i.e., writing a thought in felt tip on the sitting-room wall, was unstoppable. She wrote her thoughts in the spaces left by Daisy. Some of her thoughts were lines from Methodist hymns, inaccurately remembered from childhood, such as, "'From trials unexempted they dearest children are, so let us lot be tempted above what we can bear.' Others were short and telling." Henry is an insufferable show-off, and age is wisdom. She was pleased with this last, which she thought placed her in an invincible position in the household, since only Grandpa was older than she, and he did not wish to run things anyway. Mr. Bagthorpe, when he came across this, struck it out and wrote bilge at the side of it. So Grandma went and wrote it in several other places, and in the end he gave up and let it stand. He was incensed by Grandma's new hobby, not only because he was afraid she might start writing on walls in other places when she went out, but also because it fogged the issue of what percentage of the redecoration costs Uncle Parker would have to pay. Once Daisy had got the place looking more like home, she lost interest in writing on walls and cast round for another outlet. Poor Rosie could do nothing at all with her. Daisy would only let her plait her hair in return for a sweet and demanded a whole bar of chocolate in return for allowing Rosie the privilege of pushing her about the garden in an old pushchair. She refused to be sung nursery rhymes to, turned down all suggestions of a teddy bear's picnic in the meadow, and put her hands over her ears if Rosie tried to read her a fairy tale. She declined, in short, to be sweet and cuddly and adoring, and the devoted Rosie was sorely tried, though she never, as a Bagthorpe, gave up. On the fourth day of her stay, Daisy left Grandma happily writing thoughts on the landing walls and set off in search of something disparate to reconcile. It was very unlucky that on this particular day Mr. Bagthorpe had gone out into the garden and omitted to lock his study door behind him. He had taken to doing this since Daisy first arrived. He said that he did not want her thoughts on his walls, and furthermore, he felt her vibrations alone would be sufficient to stop his creativity dead in its tracks for weeks, if not months. Daisy had a full hour in the study, and was very happy and occupied during this time. When she came out, she even allowed Rosie to take her by the hand into the garden and push her on the swing. They softly sang together, and Mrs. Bagthorpe, who was cutting flowers for an arrangement, looked fondly at them from a distance and thought what an idyllic picture they made. Idols, however, are made to be shattered, and Mr. Bagthorpe shattered this one very rudely. On his return to his study, 
he at once became aware of his oversight and hardly dared look at his desk. When he did, his worst fears were realized. He had left lying on his desk his latest script, typed in rough, and beside it the loose pages of the original manuscript. Both were missing. Also on the desk had been a buff envelope, stamped but not yet addressed, in which Mr. Bagthorpe had intended to send off his, late, his typed draft. No one but Daisy knew the details of what had happened during that happy and creative hour spent in the study, but repeated cross-examinations did produce some kind of picture. Daisy, it appeared, had never seen loose, typewritten pages before, and what Mr. Bagthorpe's typescript had looked like to her had been pages missing out of books. As two of the study walls were lined with shelves, it had seemed reasonable to Daisy to assume that on them were the books with the missing pages. She discovered, however, that Mr. Bagthorpe's paper was too large for most of the books, and had found a pair of scissors, and adjusted this discrepancy, though being careful in each case not to cut off the number at the top of the pages, because she would need this when she started fitting them into books. Mr. Bagthorpe's carpet was accordingly littered with long strips of paper with one or two words typed on each. Once she had the pages cut to size, Daisy set about the arduous task of inserting them into various books from the shelves. She chose these books at, quite at random, sometimes because she liked the cover, sometimes because she liked the title. She soon discovered that none of these books had pages missing as she had expected, but this she soon remedied by simply tearing them out anyway. Mr. Bagthorpe's waste bin, then, was filled with shredded pages from books, each numbered from one to eighty, but each from a different book. Daisy had then turned her attention to the manuscript itself. This, being handwritten, had looked to her like a very long, untidily written letter. She had therefore placed it in the buff envelope. She did not fail to note that it had not been addressed, and knew that it should be, so she made up what sounded an interesting name and address, and wrote it in large capitals. She looked about her, could see nothing else urgently in need of attention, and went off in search of someone to post the letter. It so happened that Mrs. Fosdyke was about to go to the village for groceries, and she stuffed the envelope into her bag with ill grace and went off. When this later emerged, Mrs. Bagthorpe put her in the same category as Daisy, and stated that he considered her equally to blame. "'Where in the name of heaven did you think that accursed infant got a stamp for thirty pence from?' he demanded." "'I did not look at the stamp, Mr. Bagthorpe,' replied Mrs. Fosdyke stonily. "'It has never been part of my duties to look at stamps.' "'What was the address, then, for crying out loud?' he yelled. "'Don't shout, Henry, dear,' interposed his wife. "'I don't look at addresses, neither,' returned Mrs. Fosdyke, virtuously. "'Was it England, for God's sake?' shouted Mr. Bagthorpe. "'Was it Leeds, Brighton, Rome?' "'Timbuktu? Japan?' "'It's no use your asking,' she interrupted. "'I never even looked.' "'Mr. Bagthorpe tore out, got into his car, "'and drove in more or less Uncle Parker's style "'to the village to see if he could catch the letter before it went. "'He was too late. Ten minutes later he was back, dragging his feet. "'Gone,' he said. "'An original manuscript. Irreplaceable.' "'It is a terrible thing to have happened,' agreed Mrs. Bagthorpe sympathetically. "'Have a cup of tea.' "'And to crown it all,' he continued, "'this has just arrived.' "'He flung down a brightly colored postcard with an exotic stamp. 
It was from Uncle Parker, somewhere in the Caribbean. Lovely, cried Mrs. Bagthorpe, snatching it up. She read aloud, Celia and I are in paradise. We wish you were here, especially Henry. There are enough ideas on this cruise to keep him going for a year. Has he won a yacht yet? We like paradise so much, we may even stay on longer at our own expense. Oh, isn't that lovely? Lovely, shouted Mr. Bagthorpe. If he's staying on out there, that delinquent daughter of his can be sent out after him. And that's the end of part one of chapter six of Absolute Zero. See you next time.